Well, good morning and welcome to Mission Vale Christian Church. I am so glad that you're with us today. I'm excited about the series that we're in. We're calling this Undercover Boss. We're going to look into the truths of God's Word over the next six weeks together and really see how sometimes there's some things that can be undercover in us without us knowing and how we can conquer over those things. So let's get right into it now, into the Word. first, second, third time you're kind of checking us out here at NVCC, I just want to say on behalf of our family, we are just genuinely sincere, just want so much for you to feel at home here. And I've got to tell you, most of all, I want you to experience a real God that wants to do something real in your life. I believe He can do that in this very moment. Do you believe that? So uh, we're going to be in John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you might want to just turn there, put a mark there. We'll get to that in just a quick second. A couple of things I just want to mention before we get into this. Um, We had a bunch of high schoolers from our high school ministry. We believe so strongly that young people um, need to have a place. They need to have community. Would you agree? And they need to find faith in Jesus again. And so a lot of these um, revivals that kind of took place that kind of just uh, throughout the world, there are these little pockets of where young people are starting to find Jesus all over again. They're praying, they're finding the Lord, they're worshiping, they're being transformed, which is really what I want to talk about today out of this series, Undercover Boss. There's a lot of things in our life that can sometimes go undercover. Would you agree? If you haven't seen the TV show, it's basically about CEOs, managers, owners of company that will go into their establishment, they'll work as an employee, and they'll kind of check things out to find out, hey, what's really going on in this place? And I just think there's a lot of things spiritually that we can become really comfortable with, and we can let settle in things that are not of God, and I just pray that um, those things are revealed. Today we're going to talk about how to overcome fear. Yikes. Anybody ever feel afraid at times in your life? I think, you know, just being afraid of something is not necessarily bad. Fear can be a good thing. But when fear rules us, when it captures the essence of our spirit and our heart, and we start to run and live out of fear, it can be detrimental. So getting back to our young people, I just think there's a generation that's coming up behind us that I believe God is going to do something powerful through them. What I mean by this is Holy Spirit-filled transformation that's grabbing the hearts of young people. And I got to tell you, um, I love being around young people. Makes me feel a little younger. But I'll tell you what, I want to get in the flow of what God is doing with them. I want to be in the flow of what God is doing. And that's the wonderful thing about transforming power from God is that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be afraid of being afraid. Um, in fact, some of the Bible greats struggled at times with fear. And so we're going to take a look, even in the life of Jesus, about some people that are around him that were really struggling with fear. My son, uh, Michael, my oldest son, uh, came to me last year and he says, Hey, Dad, you know, during COVID, not a whole lot to do except watch a bunch of Netflix. So any Netflix fans here? Okay, one, two, three. All right. Well, um, we're watching this documentary. I don't know if you've seen it called Fire, F Y R E Festival. It was the greatest 
concert, we're, uh, a musical experience that never happened. I don't know if you saw this um, documentary. Basically, it was a scandal involving the entertainment industry. Billy McFarlane is his name, which, by the way, he's in jail now. Um, and legend Jerule had the 10-day ultimate music experience. It was a total concert, day and night, for 10 days. In the Bahamas, there were supposed to be top models, top musicians, social media influencers that were promoting this thing. The thing sold out, targeted for 21 to 25 years of age people. In 48 hours, it already sold out. Tickets went, watch this, tickets went from 500 day passes, $500 for a day pass to $1,500. They also went for luxury experiences, $12,000. And then the ultimate luxury, luxury experience was $100,000 to $250,000 for the luxury villas. Beautiful pictures. Uh, formerly an island owned by Pablo Escobar. You could party with Pablo Escobar there. But here's just a picture of it. We take reference. It was beautiful. I mean, can you imagine spending 10 days in this place? But when they got off the plane, it was something completely different from what they were told in the advertisements. <laughs> there were graveled parking lots, disaster relief tents. Can you imagine getting off the plane, you're 23, 24 years old, wanting the experience of your life, expecting to see these five-star hotel villas, and all of a sudden, you see these disaster relief tents. Not only that, but they were told five-star chefs, gourmet meals. And what happened was, when they got to their meal, in all seriousness, this is what happened. They had a cheese sandwich in a styrofoam box. So um, what the expectation was, was very, very different from the reality. Now, this is the ultimate did I mention that Billy McFarland is in jail? Um, this was the ultimate case study in what we call FOMO, fear of missing out, right? When I watched this documentary, not only was I, you know, feeling sorry for some of these um, young people, but some of them were trapped in the, suspended in the airport for two days without any water. And the fear that was starting to well up within them, I could see that. The fear in the people that own businesses in the Bahamas that lost their businesses, lost their livelihood. And Billy McFarland, when he was taken into custody, you could see the fear on his face. But there was just this entrapment of fear all over this thing. And I, I got to be honest with you, I, as your pastor, one of the pastors here, as, it's a privilege to be one of your pastors here on staff at MVCC. I got to be honest with you, there are still some things that I am afraid of. And I, I certainly don't want to let fear run my life or rule my life, but the reality is sometimes being human and sometimes just being off, I sometimes get afraid. I'm worried, sometimes I'm afraid of my wife's cancer coming back. I will be honest, there are moments in life that I am fearful about that. I'm fearful about when we raise our kids. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to have a passion for Jesus Christ? Are they going to marry the right person? Are they going to have the life that God intended for them to have? Are they going to be in the center of God's will? I sometimes worry about running out of money. Sometimes I'm worried about what people think of me. Sometimes I'm worried, will this be a successful, growing, vibrant church? I worry and I have fear about some of these things. I say all that to say that I'm still with you on this journey of learning not to let fear rule my life. 
I do not want fear to play undercover in my life and creep its ugly head once in a while, and all of a sudden I'm freaking out because I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? What, what are the things that seem to move in and can cause a paralysis when you think about it, when you are reminded of it, or something that just pops up? In the book of John, we're going to spend some time in the second chapter. I like this account. It's one of my favorites. Um, but before we get to John 2, 1 through 11... In John 20, 30, it says, John says, I have written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's the premise of the whole book when we're looking at this text. John wrote this out of a passion. John wrote this out of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John was one of the 12 guys that followed Jesus. And here is John writing this letter to the entire world. He wants them to know, look, beyond everything else, I want you to have a rich belief, a deep faith, a believing kind of faith where you say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Not just a belief in Jesus. Well, yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus. Maybe Christmas and Easter. He's kind out there, went to Sunday school as a kid. I'm talking about really getting down and having faith, belief in Jesus Christ. I believe in him. I still believe not only in him, but I believe him. Everything he said, I believe it. I don't understand all of it. Sometimes I have uh, trust issues. Sometimes I'm afraid to step out in faith and trust and do what God is telling me to do, but I believe it with all my heart. Listen, I just think there's a world out there that's not looking for Christians to have all the answers because the bottom line is we don't have all the answers. We don't. We have some answers, but we don't have all of them. I think they're looking for people in the midst of when they don't understand, God, I trust you, I believe you, and I will follow you, God, every moment of my life. Nothing's going to hold me back. I will not be run by fear. The saddest thing is to see Christians who operate out of fear. They operate, make their decisions because they're so afraid of what happened in the past or what might happen. Have you ever played the what if game? What if this? What if that? What if my kids don't make it? What if my kids don't? What if I don't make this college? What if I don't get scholarship? What if I don't make enough money? What if I never get married? What if I never have kids? We could do that forever. It can consume our whole being. And that's never the way God intended for us to live. How many of you believe that God wants us to live in freedom? Jesus came to set the captives free. He, he didn't come for us that we would be captive to all this stuff. Man, he wants us to be free in the Holy Spirit, free to live for God. Now, the thing I love about this text is that there was a wedding feast, a wedding feast, a wedding party, and Jesus was, catch this, he was invited to be there. Why was Jesus invited to be there? You know, when I read the Bible, I want to ask myself questions. Number one is, first of all, why was he there? What was he doing there? What was it like to be around Jesus? I think Jesus was invited there because Jesus had already set kind of a precedence of who he is, being fully God and fully human. He loved people. He loved everyone right where they were. Jesus, I think, had a joy. He had this internal joy because being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. I think that's the other quality that was so attractive and why Jesus got invited to the parties. I mean, let's face it, Jesus was a party animal. 
He he didn't partake in the sinful behavior because Romans tells us there was no sin found in his life. He never sinned once, but he loved being with people and he loved life. You you ever been around people that just, they just love getting up in the morning? God, God, what's going to happen today? You know, I got a buddy of mine in our our men's life group and uh, Dave's just kind of that guy. He's a good friend of mine. I'm getting to know him after about a couple of years. Got saved, got delivered. Every time I talk to him, he's like, all I have to do is listen for about five minutes. What happened today, Dave? And he'll start rolling off, well, God did this, and this is what I'm doing here, and this is what, isn't God wonderful? And all of a sudden, man, out of the depths of despair that I think everything is so bad, I am lifted up just because I'm around him. I think that's why Jesus was there. I think he enjoyed people. I think Jesus loved the moment. Now, weddings, just before we read the text, the weddings were a little different then. We do weddings today for about five, six hours. You ever been to a wedding lately? Starting to do weddings again out of COVID. It's exciting. Go down to the golf course, get married. About five hours a wedding will last. There's a rehearsal. And then, of course, the, the couple leaves for the honeymoon for the entire week. Not so back in the day. The whole wedding lasted an entire week. Not only that, but they got engaged the year before. And the engagement process, I hope our young women are listening to this. You guys ready? For the entire year before the wedding, the groom-to-be would actually prepare the house. He would either build the house, he would prepare the way, he would work, 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 make enough money so that he could provide for his wife and have the life that she would love to live. Somebody say amen. We should go back to biblical days, right? Right, guys? Remember when you were courting her, when you were dating her, you fell in love with her, you loved everything about her, the smell of her hair, her white teeth, you loved the way she wore her shoes, you liked the clothes that she wore, the way that she would cough and sneeze, it was so cute, you just love her, and you can't wait to be with her forever and ever and ever. A little different in biblical days, because they had arranged marriages, which I think is not a bad idea, but say all that to say this, there's a week-long wedding. And because the groomsmen, parents, usually this is how it went, they would provide the wine for the guests. If that wine ran out, it was not like today, we'll just run down to CVS and get some more. If it ran out, number one, it was a tragedy It would have been a moment of despair for the entire group of people, which back in Cana, small little town, maybe a few hundred people, so the whole town probably is there. Everybody's talking. Everybody knows everybody. Not only that, but it was unfortunate and embarrassing for the family who hosted the wedding. It was also a statement to the groom that he might not be able to continue to provide for his family. See, you see the reper, reper, uh, repercussions of this. You can see the ripple effect. A little different in our day. That's why this is such a massive moment in the life of Jesus. It's his first miracle. Now, Jesus did seven signs in the book of John. Just take note of this. It's something just to know. Signs are simply a signpost to point to who Jesus is. Don't we want to know who, we want people to know who Jesus is. And certainly if you're here today and you're wondering, what does it really mean to know Christ? I hope through these next few minutes that the Holy Spirit just shows you how good he is, how loving he is. He wants personal relationship with you. He wants to be at your party. John chapter 2, we're going to look at in just a second. John chapter 4, Jesus healed an official son. 
massive signposts that he's the son of God. In chapter 5, we see a man who was born blind at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus opens his blinded eyes. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds not five, most likely 20,000 people. He walks on water, again in chapter 6. He heals a man, also another man born blind, and he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. I love those accounts because God is so systematic. He is a God of order, man. The word of God is awesome that there are signposts for Jesus Christ. What signs has God put up in your life when you found him? Right? He does that. He's still doing that today. For me, it was my sister. My sister came to one youth night here at MVCC when we were going to Capo High School, got saved in one night, came home, gave her life to Jesus Christ, came home, told my mom, and the rest is history, man. For six months, I kept haggling her. I said, are you kidding me? You're going to be a Christian now? Oh, you're going to go to church, read your Bible? I'm never going to do that stuff. That stuff is boring. Sounds like a good life to me. All the while, God was putting a signpost in my life that my sister was a signpost pointing to Jesus. I'll tell you what. It wasn't so much that she was coming to church every Sunday, reading her Bible. It was the fact that I saw her now starting to get right with my mom and dad. She was obeying. I, I, I also believed, saw her, her life change drastically. There was genuine transformation in our relationship. I was so prideful. I was so arrogant. I wasn't willing to admit it, but I saw it. I saw it. So let's look at the text, verses 1 to 3 here. If you have your Bibles, you can open. If you don't, you can open up your Bible app. You can just follow along here. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. What in the world is going on? They are running out. Have you ever run out of something? Maybe you ever run out of food, run out of water, run out of gas? My, I took, uh, we had a family vacation. We drove through Death Valley. I hadn't been in, through Death Valley in years. Liter literally, it was 117 degrees. And we're driving in our Tahoe. We stopped off at this place called Eddie's World. It's a big gas, supposed to be the biggest gas station in, in, in California. So we stop off there, you know, get some food and everything. We're as a fa family hanging out, talking in the Chevy Tahoe, having family time. And as we're driving through, I am not going to stop and buy gas at this no-name gas place, which I don't know if there's water in the gas. It's not Chevron. It's not Arco. It's not Shell. I'm not buying that gas there. So I'm going to keep going. But I had half a tank left. I didn't know that it was miles before you got to another gas station. I said, what's the deal out here? I thought every like 10 miles there were gas stations. All of a sudden, the needle starts to go to empty. And all of a sudden, you know when that death light comes on? The death light tells you you have just a few moments left before you're going to explode. And so I'm watching my gas gauge, and I'm start, literally, I'm starting to sweat. Not only am I sweating, but I'm becoming afraid. What if we have to, on the side of this road and 10 miles up, in 117-degree weather, my, my poor wife, she's going to shrivel away from the heat. My kids are going to be coming with, with clubs. What are you doing, Dad? i got to tell you the way the story ended. True, I said, Michael, could you get on your phone really quick and just tell me how many more miles before we get to the gas station? He did, and we made it there, thank God. Now, when we got out of the car, I said, honey, there must have been something wrong with the gas gauge. <laughs> she didn't buy it. What do you do when you're afraid? They ran out. 
You ever feel like you just can't go on? I don't know if I have enough love to love this person. I don't know if I can forgive. I don't know if I have what it takes to do this job. I don't know if I have what it takes to finish and get my degree. Mary was there. What we do, Jesus' mom was there. What we do is we come up with a plan, man. I'm afraid. Coming up with a plan. One, two, three. Right? We're done. Good to go. It's interesting that Mary was sensitive to what was going on. And she informs her son, they ran out of wine. Isn't it cool that she didn't know what to do, but she knew who to go to? That's the premise, man. Say, what did we get? What did God teach me today? What did God show me? It's not about knowing what to do. It's about knowing who to go to. We ran out of wine. Make a reference really quick over to John 6, 6. John chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. He asked a question of the people. And most of them were there just because they weren't sincerely trying to follow Jesus. They wanted to trap him. And so it says here, he asked only this to test them. For he already, watch this, had in his mind what he was going to do. He already knows what he's going to do. So when you're afraid, when, Pastor Mike, when you get afraid about going into this building project and redoing our children's ministry. By the way, isn't this great, what we have here? We want to we continue to build on our children and youth program. So I don't want you to become afraid that it's going to cost more than your mortgage payment and the people of God will step up. I already know what I'm going to do. So why are you afraid? Does, does that make sense? I'm like, wow, this is deliverance for me. This is freedom for me. I don't have to be afraid. He already knows. He knew the wine was going to run out. Mary simply came to him and said, the wine's out. Which leads to number one. What do we do when we're afraid? First of all, we're going to Jesus, right? We've already established that. And don't think you have to have it all together to go to him. Don't think, well, I'm afraid. Gosh, I've really been anxiety. I've had a lot of fear here. He's not going to accept me. Jesus is going to be mad at me, so I'm not going to go. I'm afraid, God, if I relapse, I'm afraid because I have relapsed, Jesus isn't going to accept me again. Look, we all relapse into sin, and Jesus already knows it. He already knows what he's going to do with you, and he knows the situation already. So number one, Mary went to inform. Inform. I thought this was so important out of the text. These are not like my good ideas. This is, this is what the word of God, this is what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is teaching us. Inform God when you're afraid. Don't just say, I'm afraid. Remember last week we kicked off the series and we talked about being, when we really start growing with God, we get specific in our prayers. God, I'm afraid of, I might not get married. I'm afraid I might not have children. I'm afraid of getting cancer. I'm afraid of getting old. I'm afraid of losing friends. You, you fill in the blank. I think Jesus wants you and I to be specific. Not because he needs to know. He already knew the wine was running out. Because it was something in Mary that grew this incredible dependence on him. And their relationship was shifting. I don't know if you noticed that. But the mother-son relationship, it was always there. But it was shifting into a different realm, a different dynamic. Those of you that do have children, do you know there are seasons, you know, there are seasons of life with your children. You cannot talk to them the same way that you talked to them when they were five. Put your shoes on. Put your jacket on. You're going to get a cold. Take this medicine. Go to school. Do your homework. You start talking like that, right? 
you still have authority and you have a different relationship now where you come alongside. Hopefully, we've built something where they respect and honor our authority, really coming from God. Somebody say amen to that. Secret is not allowing fear to run your life. God is not afraid to allow us to depend on him even more. Let's go to the next set of verses, verses four to six. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Can you see the scene here of these six stone water jars off to the side that when Jewish people would come in, they would literally wash everything. It wasn't just their hands, it was their pots, it was their uh, utensils, it was everything they would wash before they came in. Unfortunately, a lot of them got stuck on legalism and then they felt like they had to wash everything. When those things weren't really in the Old Testament, but they kept on bringing new rules and new regulations that really entrap people to religion and not freeing them up to God. Mary says, Jesus, we've run out of wine, and it kind of seems, I'll be honest with you here, it just feels maybe a little bit disrespectful. Did you get that? Woman, why are you? We have to remember the context when we read the Bible. In that day, the word woman was really respective of like a southern term when we say yes, ma'am. So Jesus was really honoring his mother. He was really saying, Mom, I understand. I know. I respect you. Thank you for telling me. But then he goes into this next thing about, well, my time has not yet come. As I studied and probed this, I got to be honest with you. There were some struggles here as I was, what is Jesus really saying? I don't know 100% sure, but I think what he was saying is my time to be revealed of who I am and the cross and the resurrection and saving the world, that time has not yet come. So it's not time for me yet. It wasn't that Jesus was just saying, this isn't important. Jesus wasn't saying, um, well, I don't really have time for this. He's just saying, there is a time and order for everything, mom, Mary, mother, woman, ma'am. And the relationship between mother and son, I don't know. I kind of read into the text here a little bit that maybe because Jesus was a carpenter and he built all their furniture growing up and he was probably a good carpenter. I think about Jesus' hands. They were callous, but they were gentle. And they, 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 Jesus had uh, a sensitivity to him to, to, to touch someone's shoulder or hold someone's hand. And I think that as Jesus and Mary had these, 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 these moments where she would come and say, um, son, could you help me with this? Most commentators believe that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had already passed away, so he was just Mary and Jesus. So there was a special mother-son relationship where she would just ask him to do things. Which leads to number two, when we're afraid, number two is involve. I'm sorry, invite. He's to invite. She invites him into the process, and then he invites people that are following him to do whatever he tells him to do. That's the, that's the crux of this. Is it to be invited in to follow God is amazing, but to be invited in to serve God? And Mary basically lays that out and says, look, whatever Jesus is telling you to do, you do it. 
We got a baptism here after second hour. I love baptisms because baptisms represent transformation. It represents changed life. It represents there's a new horizon. There's resurrection power in this person's life. There's someone that's going to get delivered. There's someone that's going to get healed. There's an inner being that God heals us and forgives us and all those things that he does that's wonderful. But what it really represents is death to life. And I love the story. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a season in their life where we need God. We need God. And he invites us in. But not only does he invite us in, but then he invites us to serve others. That's why we're, you know, if you're a member at MVCC, you're part of the family, we want you to be involved. We want to invite you to be involved and serve him. There's something about the happiest people on the face of the earth are the ones that are serving others. The ones that live for themselves, because I used to live that way, are the most miserable, depressed, bummed out people because they're so focused on self. Whatever he's telling you to do, do it. Get in a life group. I'm in. Serve in children's ministry. I'm in. Serve with youth. Those kids need, a lot of our uh, young teenagers, they just need someone to come alongside them, big, big brother, big sister, help them find Jesus, help them follow Jesus, and help them continue to follow Jesus. Not by everything that we say, because we don't have answers, but just how we live. We need people to be involved in life groups and young at heart ministry and our schools. There's so many things to be involved in. God is just waiting, inviting us in. Prayer ministry, meals ministry, serving others, visiting someone who's sick. Those of you who make lots of money, thank God for you. You have that gift, and God wants you to share that with God's kingdom and God's people and what he's doing. It's not a burden to serve God. I tell you, I really feel sorry for people who have been invited in. Oh, I guess I got to stack chairs today. Guess I got to put the donuts out for the visitors. Why do we have so many guests coming here? Man, I get to bring Krispy Kreme donuts to MVCC. I get to help stack chairs. I get to serve in children's ministry. I get to serve our seniors. You catch the fire of what he's saying? Inviting us in is the way to go. And then involving. Involve. Jesus said to the servants, fill the uh, jars to the brim. He involves us. Being involved. You know, I I love reading about people that um, didn't make a way for themselves, but God seemed to set a path for them. People like... um, Mother Teresa, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm intrigued with Mother Teresa. I wish I could have gone to Calcutta um, to, I hate even to say this, to visit, but to see what God was doing with someone who just said, I'm going to immerse myself and be with those that are dying. An ABC reporter went to cover a story. This is years ago of Mother Teresa in Calcutta. After spending an entire week with her, interviews, newscasts, all these stories that they did about her, on his last day before he was leaving the air, for the airport, he said, Mother Teresa, as he put gently his hand on her little four-foot-six shoulder and said, would you please pray for me that God would give me clarity like he's given you? And I, I love her response. You ready for this? No, I will not pray for you to have clarity. I will pray for you to have faith and courage to do what Jesus is telling you to do. Wow. 
Man, that is so foreign from our day. That is so foreign. Yes, I'm going to get involved with God, but God, tell me what I, I need to do first and see if I can make it fit in my plan. See if I have enough money. See if I have enough time. See if I have enough resources. Maybe I got enough love. And God is saying, no, you just step out, man. You follow me and do what I've told you to do. I will bring the blessing. And then just do it. Do what he tells you to do. I can't just, it feels like I can't forgive. feels like I can't love. It feels like I just can't. The more that I focus on what I can't, that I'm afraid of, the more the enemy takes a place. And so the master of the banquet, I love this response. Let's look here at these next set of verses. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Can you imagine? And he didn't notice where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then he chooses the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. I love this. God saves the best until his timing. Isn't Jesus like the best? Jesus can do the best. He is the best. Jesus can do incredible things in our life. The, last, uh, the, the moment that we think, well, most of my best years are over. I spent these years here. Now I don't know. I'm running out. I don't have time. I don't have this. And I'm afraid. God is saying, I can do the best in your life when you think you don't have. When you are afraid, I can do the very best in your life. Think about these folks that had the best wine. And that wasn't culturally the way it happened. They would do it the, world, the way the world does it. You bring out the cheapest wine after because nobody will know because everyone's all smashed. And Jesus brings out the best and the master of the banquet feast and the bridegroom are having this conversation over here. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? I tell you what, I, 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 I used to love to go to Teen Challenge before COVID because Teen Challenge would just work with folks that are struggling. I tell you, when those people... Oh, excuse me, when we, because there's no those people, we're all sinners, we all need Jesus. But when someone like that finds Jesus, all you have to do is say the name of Jesus, and they go crazy. The worship service goes nuts, because they know what they've been saved from. I know that Jesus is best, not just because the Bible tells me so, because I've experienced him. I've experienced the worst part of life, and I've experienced the very best part of life. And without the shadow of a doubt, man, woo! Jesus is the very best. He is the best. And God can still do amazing things in your life. Yes, even when you feel like you're captive to fear. He's good. He is awesome. Let's finish up with just these last two verses and then we'll be done. Verses 11 and 12, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, which was just a little town, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples. Watch this. Believed in the plan? Mm -mm. Believed in maybe what he could. They believed in him. So I wanted to circle back around because I know how this goes. You're not going to remember everything that said this morning, but I want you to remember this. Do you believe in him? And believe him. Not just believe in him, but do you believe that he can be with you in every moment of every day. Yes, even when you're afraid. Let's go to verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples where they stayed for a few days. 
man, I would have loved to have been there with Jesus. I would have loved to have walked down those streets, see him interact with people, see the, the, the way that God just exuded himself, the Father through the Son. We can do that very same thing now. In closing, our worship team is going to come, and I just, I just, every single Sunday, I never want to assume that we've got it all together, right? I realize how it is. Sunday morning, you know, get dressed up, come to Sunday morning, then we got things to do. I know, but I'm just asking you to just for a moment, please forget that you're in this really nice auditorium. Forget that we live here in beautiful South County. I just want you to think about you right now and God. I have a friend who I went to this establishment and I expected to see him and he wasn't there. The co-workers there said, oh my gosh, you haven't heard? I said, no, what? I said, Joe's in the hospital. He was in the hospital, now he's in recovery home. I said, recovery from, from what? And then the, the big white eyes and they, they couldn't even get into it. They didn't even tell me what the details were. So after two weeks of calling and texting my friend Joe, I fi he finally calls back. I said, Joe, I'm so glad I was on another call with somebody else. And you know when you have someone else that calls, like, if I lose this call, I'll never talk to him again. I was afraid of losing that moment of that call. And so I told my friend, hey, just hang on a second. I got to take this call. He says, Mike, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I said, what, what happened? I got this all of a sudden got this infection. It affected my heart. I can't see. I'm legally blind. And this is what he said. I am so scared. And as I'm listening to this, I said, Joe, I, I wish I could tell you I understand what you're going through. I don't, but I know what it feels like to be afraid. I mean, really afraid. And let's just ask the God who I know is in you and with you and he's with us right now. And let's just pray that God comes to your rescue, man. And let's pray for God to heal you. Let's pray for God to restore you. And while you're waiting for that answer, whether it's yes, not yet, maybe, no, you wait and you wait on God and you trust and believe. And I'm going to stand with you, brother, and believe with you, believing in him. We did, Lord Jesus be with Joe, Lord, in a powerful way. You, I know, God, this is what I pray. God, I know that you're always with us because you promised us in the word. But, Lord, I'm, I'm praying that you're so with him in such a powerful, comforting way that there will be no denying in his darkest hour, in the valley, in the pit of despair, you are with him. And when we got off that phone call, can I just tell you there was a sense of peace that just waved over, I just, both of us in that moment. If you're here today and you just feel far from God, maybe you've come to this place, you were invited to this place, you said Jesus was invited into the banquet, you were invited here, I believe, to meet God. I believe that. If you don't know God personally, you were invited to meet Him. And He's already been here. And it's very simple. We believe in Jesus, we receive Jesus come into my life, and then we follow Jesus. Thank you so much for being with us. I just want to remind you that we have two services every Sunday, 9 and 11 a.m., both live and online, and we really look forward to seeing you again next week.